It's going to be together outside of church, isn't it? Well, don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's good to be together in church. I want you to remember that next Sunday. But uh, it's, it's good. Sometimes it's refreshing to be together as the church, but not in that building we call the church, because it, it, just, it just rattles our categories just a little bit, just enough to cause us to rethink what is this really all about? What is it to worship outside of a church? What is it to worship in the wild? What is it to worship out in the world? Because you know what? That's actually, that is exactly what we are called to do. Now, what if, what if the, what if God's word actually had a place where it told us specifically when it begins to get uncomfortable and when true believers are actually pushed out of religious forms and having to worship, in a sense, outside the existing structure of its time, and yet described the essentials of what worship outside would look like. What would be those essentials, do you think? What should worship essentially look like outside of the normal structures that we think of and establish that um, sort of uh, provide the boundaries and the forms and the structure of worship for us. It's a good thing to be outside, in the park, in the wild, thinking fresh, new about worship. The book of Hebrews is written in a time like that. We're going to depart from our, from our uh, First Peter study because of where we are, and I really wanted to, to, to speak of a passage that... that um, really address this outside the structures, outside the norms, worship. And the book of Hebrews does that because the book of Hebrews is written at a time when the, the first century church, following the resurrection of Jesus, the first century church was part of the broader Jewish community for some time. For several decades, they continued uh, being understood by society around about them. In greater Roman society, they were understood as part of the broader Jewish community, a Christian, Jesus Christ-following group within broader Judaism. And that was now changing. That was now changing that uh, um, more and more the Jewish community was not accepting, embracing, receiving, permitting Christians any longer. And the Romans were now beginning to draw a distinction between the two. Whereas Judaism... The Jewish religion was an accepted, legal, under Rome religion. These radical Christians were no longer so allowed. They were no longer being permitted. Persecution was started. They were more and more being pushed to the fringes, to the margins. They were, in the words of the writer of the book of Hebrews, they were being pushed outside the camp. And in a, in a final word to them, to continue in worship outside the camp. The writer of that letter gives us some essentials about what worship outside the camp must include, must look like. That's what I wanted to share with us today in, in, a, 
in a few minutes this morning. So if you have, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 19 of Hebrews chapter 13. This is the end of the letter. And uh, I'm going to read those verses as we go. I want us to see four things that are essentials of worship, worship outside, because we are called to this. And it may be, and I've suggested that the church will be more and more marginalized in our society in the coming months, years, certainly decades. But what should it look like still? What, because we're not merely called to worship in the church, are we? We are actually called to worship in public. We are called to worship not merely on Sunday morning, we are called to worship in public seven days a week. Out there among where other people are, we are called to worship our Lord. And what should, what can that look like? That's what I want to talk about this morning. How to worship outside the camp. So I'll begin in Hebrews chapter 13, reading from verse 13. Therefore, because Jesus also suffered for us outside the camp, and he draws a sacrifice analogy, Jesus' cross was like the Old Testament sacrifice that um, was then burned outside the camp. And Jesus was taken outside Jerusalem, and there on that cross, on the hill, outside the city gates, expelled from the community, so to speak, and crucified and died for us. He is our example. Therefore, let us go to him, outside the camp. Easily, easily we want to belong. Easily we want to attach ourselves to what is around us, and yet God tells us, go to him outside, bearing his reproach, the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. So then what should it look like? Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. First of all, worship must continually praise God in worship and with words. If we're going to worship outside, we must continually praise God in worship and with words. He says, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise. First of all, worship costs you something. You came here this morning, which means you didn't go somewhere else. Or you didn't stay somewhere else. You made a choice. It cost you something. Now, this was a fun choice, wasn't it? This was a good choice. And sometimes on other Sunday mornings, you might be tempted that there's, there's a better offer. There's a better deal. There's something else going on that I need to do. And if you do gather together, with others in worship. It will cost you something. There will be sacrifice involved. And take that principle out when you're going to worship the Lord with the things that you do, the things that you say, out in the public. Worship is some sacrifice. It does cost us something. It costs us something to come to church. I'm going to have to make choices. I'm going to have to have to give up this in order to do that. Worship will involve sacrifice. But worship is not only gathering together that we sing together. And we do. That sacrifice of praise, we sing together. We, we come together in worship because sometimes I can't sing, my heart can't sing, and I need you to sing for me. Sometimes you can't sing. Your heart is heavy, and you need others to sing God's truth to you because your heart needs to hear it. 
We need to gather together, not merely for what we're going to receive out of our service. We gather together because we gather together to provoke one another to love and good deeds. This is for one another. It's not, what do I, what do I come to get out of, quote, church? What do I come to give? What do I come to minister? You came here to give something. I saw you brought in pies and, and salads and I'm just so excited about all that. I asked somebody, one of the little girls, to bring in a pie. I said, well, can I have that now? Could that be breakfast? She said, no. <laughs> but I'm glad that she brought something. We, 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 we don't come to receive merely. We come to contribute into the lives of one another. That's why we gather together. Okay, but it's not merely that sacrifice of praise, he says, but it's also, it's the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And this happens through the week, doesn't it? Or it doesn't happen through the week. We live in Peter's moment in the midst of our weeks. We live in situations one after another where it is our opportunity to name the name of Christ before others or to be silent about it or to keep quiet about it, and to acknowledge his name. That's what, the, that's what the text says. The fruit of lips that acknowledge his name in the midst of the week, at God's blessing, or in the midst of trouble when I must rely on him, will I acknowledge his name? Will I keep quiet about it? Quiet about it? Will, I, will I pretend that the strength is my own? There's opportunities through the week in the midst of trouble, in the midst of, of, of blessing, for you to name the name of Christ. It might be as simple as, Lord Jesus, help us here. It might be, praise the Lord. Will I name the name of Jesus? That little thing is taking worship into the public domain. That little thing is, is taking worship outside the church, is worshiping out in a wilderness around about us. First, uh, first of all, if we are going to worship in the wilderness, in this wilderness called the world around us, we are going to continually praise God in worship and with words. The second way we can do that, that the writer refers to next, is to intentionally serve and give for others. To intentionally serve and give for others. Let me read verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. To do good and to share what you have. Notice the first thing was not giving something in an offering, but it was doing something as an offering. That was the first thing it said. It said, in, uh, do not neglect to do good. Do good, serving one another. Ephesians 2.10, we live this, this is kind of our theme verse for the men's ministry in our summer of service, and we got to step into it again last week. We were able to go to a woman's house, she's a, she's a teacher at Prairie High School, and we were just able to go through and do a whole bunch of stuff in the lawn that she just, with what's going on in her life, she was not able to get to. We were a blessing to her. And uh, that's a privilege, that's a joy, that's fun, it really is. But uh, the, the, our, our theme verse in this summer of service, to go out and uh, we would love to hear from you. You know somebody, you have a friend, you have a neighbor, somebody that we could serve in some hands-on tangible way that would just speak to. Uh, some guys from our, our church would love to come and help you with this. That would be a testimony for Jesus in the midst of your neighborhood and with your neighbor. We would love to be that for you. 
the, um, our, our theme verse for that is Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That God has before ordained that we should walk in them. We are called for this. We live for this. We have been given life not merely to be served, but to serve. That's stepping into the mind of Christ, isn't it? The one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We step into that. We taste something of him serving us when we will give ourselves in serving for others. Peter is going to say later on in our study, it'll be months from now before we get to chapter 4, but in chapter 4, Peter is going to tell us to, um, um, as each one of you have received a, a spiritual gift, put them into use as good stewards of the many varied grace of God. God has shaped each one of you in different ways. God has given you different abilities, different skills, different talents, different giftings that each of you would use in different ways and in different places for his glory. And I would urge every one of you, do you have a place where you know this is my service of worship? I don't say that because I have a whole list of stuff that we need to get done in the church. I say that because we have a whole body of believers that need to be exercised for the good of the body as a whole. We, need, we were called for this. We were made for this. And so I don't want a few people wearing themselves out in various ministries and serving. I, I want every one of us to know that this, this corner, this place, that means of service, that's what God has given me to do. And it might be some, something in the church right now. It might be something that we as a church are not doing. But God has said in your heart. And something we need to do. Maybe as a church or something the church can support you in and send you out in. I don't know. But I know that every one of us need a place that this is where I serve the Lord. And sometimes it's unnoticed. And that's okay. Because it's never unnoticed. God is... Not unjust to forget your work and labor of love and that you have ministered to the saints and do serve. You know, it's interesting. The first office in the church, in the earliest church, in the earliest weeks, the very first office after the apostles themselves, the first office in the church were these things called deacons. Does anybody know what deacons really do? Sometimes we're not really sure, but the word means, and this really is their job description, the word deacon means servant. The very first office in the church was servant. That tells you something, doesn't it? That tells you something about the character of this whole body. You know, there were many people that served to make this happen here today. This is different. Normally we come to a building, we open the doors, we come on in, and, and we gather together, and it seems like it's, it just happens. But that didn't happen this morning, did it? You can imagine all that it took, and many of you participated in that. But you know, that's actually an object lesson because every Sunday takes the same kinds of things. Every Sunday has chairs. Every Sunday has, has musical instruments and, and set up and, and there's, there's infrastructure and all of that. And there, there are people serving and there's, there's coffee put out and, and there's people welcoming and greeting. And every Sunday there's a lot of stuff that goes beyond the scene just to keep that roof over the head. Every Sunday actually takes the same kind of serving, but it, it, it gets into a habit, it gets into a routine, and we easily forget that all of that is going on. And at a special time like this, well, all of a sudden we realize a lot happened to put this all together, and you can look around and you can see the fruit of it. And all of that, like today, was your opportunity to step in and join in, 
Every week's the same kind of thing. And the ministry is out of the church, the same kind of thing. We, we have opportunity not to neglect, to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices God is well pleased. So it's, not, it's doing good and it's also sharing what you have. To share, to give, to meet the need of others. I didn't want, out here in the park, I really didn't, it was, it was going to be awkward. You see how y'all, you're y'all scattered and sitting heggly-peggly. Can you imagine our, our nice orderly passing of offering bags back and forth? That would be difficult this morning. And yet, and yet, it is right that we give. And so some of you came planning, we're going to be in the park. That's probably not going to happen, so I'll, I'll, I'll have my offering next week. Some of you came because, hey, it's, it's, it's Sunday. When I'm at church, I'm, I'm going to have my offering ready. And so we have a box for that. Also, some of you came with a prayer request already on your heart. And we wanted a place to collect it. We normally receive those in the offering, offerings as well. And so that box is over on the table there for that very reason. Because it's important. Jesus said, in as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So as we give to meet the need of others... We are worshiping Christ. We will worship in the wilderness by continually praising God and worshiping with words, by intentionally serving and giving for others. We will not neglect it, it said. We'll be it's very easy. It's very easy to let things slip aside, to let other things crowd in. And he says here, don't neglect it. Stir it up. Remind yourselves, provoke one another. Don't feel like you're nagging somebody else that you know is gifted for this and God, God put them on your heart. That tap on the shoulder might be just the encouragement that they need, that they could be used in this way. And they hadn't really thought about it or didn't think God would use them. So don't be hesitant. Don't neglect. We need to do this intentionally. Thirdly, stubbornly submit. I love that combination of words. Stubbornly submit yourself in God's family. What do I mean by this? See if you can pick this out as I read verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Stubbornly submit yourself in God's family. You see, the church is no place to be your own boss. The church is no place to go it on your own, to self-direct. You see this in sports. Take an example. LeBron James has, 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 has told us that he is the best basketball player in the world. And yet LeBron James needs a coach. And you know, you, can, you watch LeBron, and LeBron is actually a very good team player. He comes up with triple doubles, which means not only does he score a lot of points, but he gets a lot of rebounds from other people's shots, and he has a lot of assists, which means he passes the ball to somebody else so they can score. That's good team play. And yet, when the pressure's on and the team is down and time is running out, you will see LeBron do something. He will bring the ball down court himself, and he will go all the way to the basket himself, and he'll do that multiple times as if the other four guys with him are not even on the court anymore. And team, team play begins to fall apart. And, and, and sometimes the urgency, the press of what's going on, causes you to guts it out on your own and do your own thing. When we actually, the best players in basketball or anywhere else, the best players play better with a coach, don't they? The best of us run better when we run with others. We, we, we do better as a church body when we, when we walk with others outside of ourselves who can look 
into us from outside and also give us perspective on our walk with the Lord and our service to him because we easily deceive ourselves. The heart is, 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 is deceitful and desperately wicked and who can know it? We easily fool ourselves but maybe we don't as easily fool faithful friends. So we need to stubbornly submit ourselves to others. Others will come alongside, will, will, who will look out for you from outside of you. They will call you farther. They will encourage you. They will pick you back up when you are discouraged. Who do you have that you pray with? Who do you have that you pray with that would tell you, you know, your, your prayers lately have been a little shallow. Your prayers lately have actually been a little self-focused. You're only praying about you. Do you have anybody that you pray with that would dare to tell you that? Because I dare to say sometime you probably need to be told that. I do. You know, your prayers are canned. You're, you're saying the same things. It's becoming mere words. Who do you pray with that would dare tell you that? Who do you, who do you share insights out of God's word with? That, you know, God is showing me this, but I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with it. That, that they would, oh, well, I, I, I can tell you what you need to do with that. Somebody else who's close to you. Close enough to smell when you didn't put on your deodorant in the morning. Close enough who knows you and knows a way maybe that you're blind to that that word actually needs to be applied. We run better when we submit ourselves to others. And I'm not saying pick on each other. But another way that this looks like, we easily gossip about one another, right? And when you gossip about others, it's because you noticed something. Well, what about, instead of gossiping about them, what about if you talked to the Lord about them and then talked with them? And what if we determined, just as a body in general, what would it be, what would happen if, if somebody talked to me, I didn't get offended, I either said, I wonder, what is it? I, I listen for, even if they are, and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm normally used to it when people come and critique me. I, I know they're out to lunch, mostly. I'm pretty sure of it, really. They're mostly out to lunch, but there might be a little grain of truth in there. There must be something in there that I need to hear out of it. And what might that be? What if we determined that if somebody brought, came to us with some, what seemed to them helpful, insight, if I listened to it, if I prayed about it, that maybe there's something here that God actually would use them to speak to me through. Who are you following? Who are you learning from? Who's learning from you? You know, uh, some of us are a little older, a little further down the trail, and who are we also showing the way? Who are we bringing along with us and showing the things that we've learned from? You know, this, 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 the age that we live in is an age that has jettisoned the wisdom of life. We have, and, and we use technology as our excuse because the generation ahead of us knows nothing about the technology of the day. We assume and we tell ourselves that they don't know anything about life today. And that's not true. That's not true. The real stuff of life in human relationship hasn't changed so much with technology. Oh, technology is way different. But the real stuff of life hasn't changed so much. And we would do far better if we would submit ourselves, if we would stubbornly submit ourselves to others. 
Now, it's kind of like parenting. Children need parents. When I was about 10 years old, I determined that I didn't need parenting. I had read a book. It was called My Side of the Mountain. Anybody read My Side of the Mountain? Yeah, you know the book I'm talking about. And, and I determined that I really, I, 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 could, I could go off like that boy did, and I could, I could, I could go live in the, in the wild somewhere. And, and I would live maybe in a hollowed-out tree, and I would eat blackberries. I didn't realize how short the blackberry season actually was. And, and um, I'd kill rabbits or something, you know, and it was all going to work. I was going to live like the Indians. I'd read enough Indian books that I could live like the Indians, and I didn't need parents anymore. There's a lot of kids that think they don't need parents. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. And, and parents, it gets old, doesn't it? It gets tiring, and yet good parents stick with it anyway. Good parents stick with it and keep going and take the, take the eye rolls. They take the shrugs. They take the slow shuffle, and they keep at it out of love. If you've been given a place of leadership, and sometimes it's hard to lead when it doesn't seem like anybody's listening or following, Keep at it. Stick with it. Let us stubbornly submit ourselves to one another in God's family. Lastly, you know, and I, 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 as I was going through these first three, they're, they're, they're one out of order, but, but you see the same thing on our website. You see it on, on church signage. It says, we will worship together. We will, we will give a sacrifice of praise and acknowledge his name. We will worship together. We will serve together. We will um, intentionally serve and give ourselves for others, and we will, we will grow together. And that spiritual growth comes out of stubbornly submitting yourself in God's family. And lastly, there's one tucked on there that I think is essential to all of them, and that is expectantly pray for God's grace to others. Verse 18, pray for us. The writer says in closing, For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. I take it the writer might be imprisoned. The writer might be restrained. He might not be able to come to them freely. And so he's asking them to pray. Pray for those who are pressed by evil. Pray for those who are, who are enduring hardship or trouble. You can imagine what that looks like. Pray for, pray for a girl in our society that, that is in trouble and is pressed to have an abortion. Pray for students in school who are, who are being pressed by a godless perspective to deny their faith. Pray for, for, for folks in the midst of one crisis or another. It might be a health crisis. It might be, it might be a family crisis. There's, there's all kinds of trouble to go around. But we pray for one another in the midst of trouble. And I take it here, the author is saying, pray for us because they're in some kind of trouble. They are hard-pressed. But pray expectantly because the writer believes that their prayers will make a difference. The writer believes that because you pray, we'll be restored all the sooner. That because you pray for those in trouble and for the troubles of life in the midst of the wilderness, that it will make a difference. And so, if we're called to pray, and that praying makes a difference. The writer believes, let's say he's in prison, and yet he believes that the key that will open that lock is not in the, a key in the hand of the jailer. The key is in the hand of God who simply waits for his children to ask. If that's true, if we are called to pray for one another, and God actually acts in response to our prayers, then we must pray. We must give ourselves to those things together out in the world. What does it look like? You run across people all over town, 
all over work, whatever there might be, you run into somebody else, you hear about some trouble, you get a hint of it, or they just open their heart to you. And you hear about something that's going on, and you might try to give an answer, you might try to provide a solution, or you might say, would it be okay if I prayed for you? Very few times will it be that somebody would, no, I don't really want you to pray for me. Ah, I really don't believe in that prayer, but, but, but that's okay. You don't have to believe in it. I do, and so the Lord will hear me. Very, very few times will it be that somebody would say, no, I don't want you to pray for me. And you know what? You can pray for them anyway. You can. You don't even have to tell them. But if you tell them, we'd be right to pray for you. Maybe come back the next week. I've been praying for you. Only do that. Don't lie. Don't lie. Christians lie. I've been praying for you. You have not. Liar. <laughs> but, but if you have prayed for them, then, you, see, that also gives you a chance to go back and say, I've been praying for you. How's it going? And you can expect that something will have changed because you've been praying. Because that's what God's word says. On that box, one of the reasons I wanted that, a box to be there for the quote offering this morning is not because the budget is in dire straits. No, actually, we're ahead for the month, folks. Just relax. The finance committee doesn't want me to say that, but just, we're fine. But we're not. We need to pray. And there's stuff going on in your lives that you need to, please, take one of those cards. Let us know how we can pray for you. And you, you, you may have a praise of answered prayer. Let us know so that we can rejoice and be encouraged and sing praise with you. But with the stuff of life, we would love to pray for you. And those cards are one of the ways that you can let us know. Maybe it's simply letting somebody near you, somebody you came with today, hey, would you be praying for me about this or that as much as you want to share or as little? But let's do this. Let's continually praise God in worship and, and acknowledge his name. Let us intentionally serve and give ourselves for others. Let us stubbornly submit yourself in God's family and expectantly pray for God's grace to others. That's why we're here in the park today. We want to bump into others in the park today. We want other folks to even join us that we don't even know yet at, at the jazz concert this afternoon after our, after our picnic lunch. Let's pray right now that God would bring them and, and that God would use the sacrifice of praise that is offered here today in order to show his grace to others. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that we can be here today. Lord, that we can be worshiping in the wilderness, out in the open. Father, would you uh, hear our praise? And look, Father, would your own heart, nothing else but would your own heart be blessed because your children praise and worship you. And Father, would you use us, Lord, to also encourage others? Would you use us to encourage one another? Would you use us as well, Father? Would you bring people by who wonder, why are we here today? Why is this music here? What, what is this all about? Who are you people? Father, would you use us, among others, who would just come along and happen to meet us today? That we would share something of what we have here with them? We would share the, the joy of the music with them. We would share, Lord, the truth of your gospel with them in your word. Father, we would share something of the love of Christ toward them. Father, use us here, out here, today. For your glory, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.